Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. But I think to this day, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it or not. <laughs> it's still, you know, I'm not kidding. I'm just, you know, still fighting the fight to this day. Um, and it's probably fear-based. It's probably looking at artists who were very confident, who after one season, one album, one show, have disappeared into the ether of things. And it was chilling to watch the realization, how quick it was to be forgotten, and how quick it was to, to have everything you work hard for being taken away just by making the mistake of being lazy, or ineffectual, or, or, uh, or, or not, uh, you know, they, they use the word relevant today, I, I think it's stupid word but I think it's a matter of just moving forward you know which goes back to the whole Walt Disney thing you know keep moving forward it's one of his one of his uh, quotes welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me Barry Katz this is like a dream come true, everybody, sitting across from David Copperfield and being able to be on the cusp of interviewing him is a really special moment for me. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce him and hopefully one of his many assistants will come in here afterwards and shake him and wake him up a little bit and we'll be ready to go. <laughs> All right, here it goes. David Copperfield has been named the Magician of the Millennium. He is the first living illusionist to be honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He was knighted by the French government, is the winner of 21 Emmy Awards for his groundbreaking television specials, was awarded a Living Legend Award by the U.S. Library of Congress, holds 11 Guinness World Book Records, is featured on postage stamps from six different countries, and has sold more tickets than any other solo entertainer in history. 
As an only child, Copperfield was born in 1956 as David Kotkin in Metuchen, New Jersey, a shy kid who overcame insecurity with the help of magic. David was already an accomplished conjurer by the age of 12 when he was invited to join the Society of American Magicians, its youngest member ever at 16. David was adjunct professor at NYU where he taught a course called The Art of Magic and at 18 was cast as the lead in The Magic Man, a musical created by the producers of Grease. The show opened in Chicago to rave reviews and the legend began. The success of The Magic Man led to a job hosting an ABC Magic special and for the next two decades, Copperfield continued to break new ground with his annual top-rated Emmy Award-winning television specials, on which he continued to outdo himself by walking through the Great Wall of China, escaping from chains and shackles before plunging over Niagara Falls, surviving being locked in a safe inside an imploding building, making a daring escape from Alcatraz prison, levitating and vanishing a 45-ton Orient Express train car, escaping while hanging upside down from burning ropes in a straitjacket ten stories above flaming spikes, surviving the deadly heat, standing in the center of a 2,000-degree tornado fire, and making the Statue of Liberty disappear, among so many others. In 96, David realized a lifelong dream of performing on Broadway, creating dreams and nightmares with Francis Ford Coppola, which broke the record for most tickets sold in a week. A historian of his art, Copperfield founded the International Museum and Library of Conjuring Arts, which houses the world's largest collection of historically significant magic memorabilia, posters, books, props, and artifacts. In 1982, Copperfield established Project Magic, a rehabilitation program that uses sleight-of-hand magic as a method of physical therapy. The program is accredited by the American Occupational Therapy Association and used in hospitals across the globe. Copperfield joined forces with Dean Koontz, Joyce Carol Oates, Ray Bradbury, and others for David Copperfield's Tales of the Impossible, an anthology of original fiction set in the magic world. This collection was so successful, the second volume, David Copperfield's Beyond Imagination, was published. In the film world, Copperfield most recently was cast in the Jim Carrey-Steve Carell film Burt Wonderstone, and his team developed illusions for the film and coached Carell and Olivia Wilde on how to perform a sawing trick without the use of covering or camera tricks. Another one of Copperfield's inspired tricks found its way in the $350 million grossing film Now You See Me, where they brought Copperfield on as a co-producer for the sequel, where he consulted on the screenplay. Copperfield is the owner of Musha Key, a set of 11 private resort islands in the Bahamas, covering 700 acres, 40 beaches, and only up to 24 guests can stay there at a time. Some of the most extraordinary people in the entertainment business stay there on a regular basis, like Oprah, John Travolta, and Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem, 
were married there. According to Forbes magazine, Copperfield was the top earning magician in 2016, earning $64 million and performing at the MGM Grand Theater that bears his name. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today, a man who I have the most respect for, David Copperfield. Thank you very much. So I have so many things to ask you, but I went to your show last night. You sat me at the most amazing table. I'm in the front row. I've never been in the front row of a magic show before. This isn't even a magic show. This is beyond the magic show. It's a real experience that you have to go to. First thing I want to ask you is, when I think of you, I think of a guy who just is detached from talking about anything personal or anything that way and as a guy about the illusion the special effect the thing that's going to change people's lives forever with the trick you think of all the greatest things you've done from the statue of liberty the great wall of china it's about the vision in your head that you can't forget not about the words so it could play in Beijing or it could play in the backwoods of some country that I don't even know and they'd get it but in this show in Vegas what really shocked me is that I saw a side of you that I didn't know you were willing to share one that talked about your dad your family your unresolved conflicts and the whole show kind of ties things together and it's like a love letter to your family and your dad how did you decide that you wanted to change the game from being the guy who did something that the trick was the thing that blew people away and i'm not saying the illusions here are just unbelievable but to going and being about family my beginnings were always about storytelling you know it's amazing how a brand becomes about the iconic things that you do. Um, you know, you're remembered for a Statue of Liberty and thing or a relationship you have, you know. The, um, but my magic has always been about storytelling. This one, I think, is more refined. It's really come even more personal. But even back in the days of, you know, TV specials, in the beginnings, TV specials, it was always about um, my girlfriend leaving me or a date with a magician or my love for Hitchcock movies. You know, I do the shower scene from Psycho or I would do a, a date with a magician and all the specials were really based on stories. And then it got more personal, you know, it got more, I, I shared even more personal stuff. I did a Broadway show uh, with Francis Ford Coppola as my collaborator and his the title that he came up with was dreams and nightmares and just for our audience that show broke all box office records on broadway and to this day is the highest grossing and most successful first week in the history of broadway i don't know if it's still that case but but we we did very very well did a lot of shows i i work very very hard but the coppola show was dreams and nightmares and it was a, he said you got to tell about your personal dreams and nightmares and I've been refining that ever since I think you know just to make it real you know he told me that you know not only what every writer knows you know write what you know but really get give detail and let them you know d don't make it so short 
and so abbreviated. Detail is very important. And say the name of the candy store and say the, the name of what it is because you'll draw people in. So I learned so much, obviously, from, from Mr. Coppola. Uh, and this show is really a ref reflection of that. But always, always my career is, is, has been about trying to convey more than just the illusion. But it's, it's amazing that somebody that you, you obviously pay attention to show business a lot um, and um, being so ingrained in all your different aspects of what you do E even though that exists in your life, the things that you remembered uh, were the iconic things, the things that, you know, uh, were brand identifying. But really, people that know my work n knew me as a storyteller from the very, very beginning. Now, maybe because it's, it, it, it's as a father myself and you're a father yourself, I think it's communicating, um, uh, you know, more deeply. And the show sort of fascinating me from a producer standpoint and somebody who's managed artists my whole career I actually was kind of fascinated by how you constructed it now you start off the show and it's this beautiful video and photographic journey of how people sort of let you know that maybe things weren't possible if you wanted to do what you did and you talked about and inspired the audience by telling them that anything's possible and sort of tipped the cap of what was to come. You know, a lot of people say, oh, believe in yourself and all the kind of Tony Robbins-esque uh, thing. I really, you know, um, for me, it was really being told I couldn't do this. You know, this magic job, you know, my mother said, you're never going to make it. You're not going to, you better do something that will feed your family or feed you. You're never going to have, have success. And I love her for it because it really em empowered me, you know, uh, to work even harder to prove that I was okay. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I wanna tell you about a great product called Boku Superfoods. I just got back from Ohio and met with the owners of the company and I was just incredibly blown away by it. They have the purest, most potent, and delicious superfood blends on the planet. It's just in these incredible powders where you just add any liquid you want, water, make smoothies, 
It's just so good and so healthy. Certified organic, kosher, and vegan, Boku Superfood is changing the game for thousands of people all over the world. And I'm confident it'll change your life. So much so that I worked out an unbelievable deal with the owners. You'll be able to get a full week's worth of Boku Superfood for free. All you got to do is pay minimal shipping and you can join the Boku Love Life loyalty team. Just go to tryboku.com and experience the difference of how it makes you look and feel. And you will understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. Sometimes I worry with my kids. I'm so proud of you. I'm so keep going for that, whatever. And I wonder if that's the wrong thing to do. If I should be the person who says, hey, listen, kid. Don't do that. You're never going to make it, and then he'll make it. Right, and and it's a really tough balance, isn't it? You know, the the carrot and the stick uh, aspect of it. You know, we have a generation that you know is a stereotyped view of of the millennial generation who were kind of bolstered by by all of the approval that they got. They get they get kind of accused of you know what about me what about me instead of having to f- have the fire and fight for 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 working hard and uh, a lot of people that work for me i try to spend time with and say look you know you really have to uh learn to take the criticism and you know and to 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 take things seriously you know i have a big issue with people that go my bad i hate that the expression my bad it's like acknowledging that people did something wrong but kind of tossing it away and not taking it very, very seriously to, to really try to learn from it and solve those problems. Um, you know, for me, certainly as a parent, it's, it's a fine line, you know, because really a lot of, you know, um, of my passion and my fire comes from, from just uh, a lot of negativity, a lot of no's, you know, tons of no's. And as you know, today, like you've done amazing things in your life. I've done some good things and you know still it continues it doesn't stop uh you think that you're going to have all this knowledge after accomplishing certain things and you're going to figure it all out and it's going to be easy after but it's it's not the case you know so i'm I'm on a constant you know quest of learning and and growing and so i want to go back to the show for a second because this is where i didn't think the show would go and I want to try to understand why it went this way. You have the incredible piece towards the end, which I'm not going to spoil, about family and your dad and his journey. And it's like you're watching a feature film on stage. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And I would say that segment, with different things involved in the theme, could go for 30 minutes long. How long did it go, do you think? How long was that? I'd say the segment that I'm talking about from beginning to end and then coming back towards the tie-in at the end, which that was probably another seven minutes, I'd say it was probably 37 minutes of this theme. Wow, you're really good. That's precisely what it is. You're a real producer. You really know. <laughs> Thanks, man. The clock was going in your head, the internal clock. Yeah, yeah, and I never timed anything. My phone was in the box. Which is really long, you know, because people are coming to my show to see what you said before. You know, statues disappear and big, big illusions or close-up magic. And I do a whole story. And I, you know, I can tell you it's about an alien and my father. and Worked at Roswell. I worked at Roswell, which is for real. And... 
uh, and you know it's really based on the fact that my father was at Roswell for real we didn't know it I found his card in his belongings this is a hundred percent true um, and also I wasn't there when he passed away so there is you know a real need for me to do this you know it comes from a real place um, to, to solve that problem and I know a lot of people have had that exact same journey um, and maybe the alien was real too but no but seriously the uh, the idea of you know not saying goodbye to somebody you love because you're busier because the timing isn't right is something that is very real to me and real to a lot of people and um, uh, we tell it with a lot of jokes and a lot of you know, lightheartedness, but some, some uh, very true, true, true moments. Let's go back to the time when your dad passed away and knowing what you know now, you got all these shows, you're going all over the world, you got the letters that he sent you that many of them go unopened because you're so crazy busy. Knowing what you know now about when he was going to pass, let's say you knew, but you had the whole schedule, you had everything, everything was still the same, what would you have done? Would you have canceled the tour to spend more time with him? Would you have, how would you have handled things differently? I don't know. That's tough. I, I definitely, if I knew the window of time, um, I would have loved to have said goodbye, obviously, and and... Um, I would have made that happen. I would have stopped and walk off stage and, uh, you know, re- return the ticket money and, and, uh, and taking the plane and get there. And obviously I think I would have done that to have that last hug. And, you know, this, uh, we, I talk about it in the show, certainly that's a, a regret, but it, it empowers, you know, uh, something that could help other people. So it's turned into a positive thing. My father was the kind of guy that, you know, if, if he was sick or whatever, he says, keep working, keep working. He would just, you know, say, I don't, don't come here. Just go do your thing. He would be that kind of thing. He wasn't needy in that way. Um, he's a guy that gave up his uh, passion of being an actor to feed us. You know, my mom and uh, his family said, you know, <laughs> you know, this is not a real job. You know, he had a stage name and all that. He really went to, he was going to go to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts because uh, if you're in World War II, you get a free scholarship there. Uh, he was all set, but he, he kind of gave it up and became a haberdasher. So here I am. When I watched that part of your show, there was a song that played in my head as I was watching you simultaneously. Harry Chapin, Cats in the Cradle. Yeah, I love that. That and that and Taxi. Speaking of Harry Chapin, both those those two songs are like you know, they both are very real in our lives in their own way. You know, I think there's a little bit of us that we always, to a certain degree, <laughs> make those mistakes. Um, I did get to spend a lot of time with him um, before that, before he started to decline. Um, they traveled the world. My mom and dad traveled the world with me. They went, met five or six presidents and a lot of royalty. And they, you know, um, they were kind of the mascots of my show for a while. But at the very end, I didn't get to say the goodbyes I wanted, they wanted to say. So I'm just going to say one more thing about the show that I wanted to understand in your mind why you constructed it this way. There was at least 45 minutes of the show, which was unbelievable. 
but had nothing to do with the theme of the show. And I was really confused. Let's just take the piece, and I'm not going to spoil anything, where there's a transference of a animal from one place to another, which is an amazing, amazing piece. Has nothing to do with the tie. And I thought to myself, why didn't he say, oh, even if it wasn't true, you know, I used to go to the lake with my dad and we used to watch the geese on the lake or whatever it is. And Do you think I should? Would you like it better if I did that? Yeah, because it ties in the theme. I thought that each illusion, there could be a written word or something to say, you know, this thing here, my dad and I used to do this together. And when we did this, it reminded me of this and I just want to do something. And so the whole show ties together in that theme as opposed to just it being two different segments. And that surprised me. And I want to know what the thought process was behind that. I think there's an expectation of people in a magic show to get pure stuff, kind of unplugged things. I don't think, um, you know, the show itself uh, isn't a play in itself. There's a little play in it, a little feature film in the, mo- in, the, in the movie, in the show itself. But I think for the sake of real estate, overall real estate of the show, I think it's okay to do magic as pure magic. You know, the, the, the piece you're talking about or the little floating rose thing I do in the audience. And that was an amazing thing, but I didn't understand. This is what I was thinking when you were doing the floating rose thing. Why is David Copperfield doing the floating rose? David Copperfield is David Copperfield. The floating rose, I visualize that it's possible for other magicians to do that. The other things you do, I visualize, ah, these other guys aren't going to be able to do that. Now, then I thought to myself, well, he's doing this because he wants to show that he's capable of going to his roots. Because and when you talk to a movie producer, the great movie producers, what they say is the first thing they do when they get the set is they go get the star a cup of coffee and they bring him a cup of coffee. When there's all these PAs there to bring the cup of coffee, I say, why do you bring the cup of coffee? Because I want people to know that I'm still tied to my roots. And the second thing I thought when you did the roast trick is that, okay, he needs five minutes for a setup back there and they're doing something there. If you talk to the people after the show, amazingly, you know, I have, I mean, this show, uh, he's trying, Barry's trying to be very kind and try to be very clandestine, not to reveal anything, but this show is a, kind of changes the, the vernacular of magic. Absolutely. It's, it's not, you know, girls getting sawed in half or, you know, it's about dinosaurs and spaceships and aliens and time travel. And family. And family. So, so but I don't think you have to hit the bell every single time. Everything doesn't have to come together into one thing. In my, just my opinion. I think when you talk to a lot of people out of the show, after the show, they'll say they were moved by the, the whole uh, story piece, but they, they'll pick out the little floating rose thing in the audience is their favorite thing because they like the pure unencumbered thing amazingly and the I, you know i like that i've got a, a pet duck named webster all those things actually you know it's amazing that i think they do tie together because you know part of i'm not floating a rose it's about a relationship with me and the girl in the audience you know it's okay in a movie or in a play to have a kind of an unplugged moment, a little ballad. And the ballad might be about a side story. It doesn't have to be about the same same track every time, you know. I have so much inspiration that I have from films and from, from music and other art forms and from comedy. One of the things that blew me away 
is how unbelievably funny you were and you had elements of stand-up in there that was incredible it reminded me of how you used to go to shows in new york and watch shows at caroline's and otto and george and jay moore in the beginning yeah yeah and i just learned today that you saw me in the audience watching jay moore and my my good friend otto and george we've lost this past couple of years and uh, yeah 25 years ago I yeah. think. Um, and that was that was when I was 25 years yeah but uh, but he yeah, he was a friend till the end and you know big fan of his irreverence and and what was yeah. fascinating I went there and I saw you and Claudia Schiffer and I thought to myself this guy represents the values of America to everybody he's <laughs> like a guy who could go anywhere perform as they say in NASCAR from drool to drool <laughs> And yet he's sitting here watching one of the bluest, dirtiest comics in the history of comedy. You know, in Otto and George's audience would be Kevin Spacey. <laughs> you know, you'd have just really, really, you know, educated, smart theater people. I forgot I met him that night, too. He was there, too, that night. Yeah. It's just, it's, the reason for me, it was about the rhythm it was about the choice of words. Uh, I'm not saying just a bunch of dirty words. It's the construction, the actual mathematics of how he was doing his comedy and making it work uh, that really, really was, was wonderful to watch. It was just, you know, I'm going to hit him in the head with a Galliano bottle, a Galliano bottle. It's like just the, 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 the poetry. On the, people are going to laugh at this, but, <laughs> but there is a kind of a, you know, uh, amazing, uh, um, you know, pace and rate of what he'd say and how he'd say it was kind of educational and, um, and fun and fun to watch. And he was a troubled guy, certainly, but a brilliant, brilliant guy. Yeah. I'm glad you saw that. Hey, everybody. I know I've talked a lot on this show about Aqua True, the countertop water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler purifier that's on your counter. It's only about maybe 10 to 12 inches high and maybe 10 to 12 inches wide in this triangle. It's this amazingly efficient piece of equipment that sits right on your counter. It has a nice pitcher, it has a press button, where the water comes out and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just put your tap water in there and it purifies, it takes out all the bad chemicals, everything out and gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine that would cost you hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store where the plastic containers hurt the environment. It's just so much easier, so much better. And this product is amazing. I have one, everyone who comes over, everyone who uses it, they order one. And you should too, I'm telling you, it's incredible. And if you act now, you can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry, that's B-A-R-R-Y, and you'll immediately 
get the huge discount and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. Industrystandardwater.com, promo code Barry. And you'll never, ever waste another dollar buying another bottle of water for your home again. I want to go way, way back. Let's go way back and let's start off with where you grew up, your family life, and what was your first inspiration to become a magician and in the entertainment business? Boy, a lot, lots of things. Um, New York City World's Fair, 1964, 1965, big inspiration. Uh, Walt Disney, big inspiration. Showing up at the World's Fair, I just recently went back there to the, the fairgrounds, um, Flushing Meadows. It was it's an amazing thing, and I talk about it in the show. Uh, I collect downstairs. I've got a collection of 64, 65 World's Fair things. And a lot of Disney Imagineers today who are my age and our age, uh, you talk to them and they say, that's what started them off. you going there and seeing It's a Small World or Abe Lincoln or the Carousel of Progress or uh, just amazing you know, storytelling using three-dimensional objects moving and uh, transporting you in a unique way, not just TV, seeing the possibilities that were endless, you know. Um, and I don't, st- I keep doing the same thing. I'm trying to have the same effect that happened to me as a kid, seeing uh, the East Coast Disneyland, you know, uh, which is the New York City World's Fair, um, seeing those big rides. And I think I'm trying to see about influencing people to experience and discover endless possibilities. And that's what I saw there. On TV, it was the Ed Sullivan show and seeing uh, Paul Winchell, the ventriloquist. How many magicians were on the Ed Sullivan show? Millions of them. But I thought, uh, you know, there's too many magicians. There's only a couple of ventriloquists. I should be a ventriloquist. So I got a dummy based on Paul Winchell's success on TV. How old were you when you got the dummy? Seven or eight. Where do you get a ventriloquist dummy at seven or eight? In touch in New Jersey. My parents bought it at the toy store. Uh, you know, Jerry Mahoney on TV had moving eyes, animated. Um, you know, Paul Winchell was the voice of Tigger. People would know him as the voice of Tigger. He also invented the artificial heart. Uh, as the patent holder of the artificial heart. Um, but he was a brilliant ventriloquist. Also a very kind of complicated, troubled <laughs> artist. It's so funny that all my idols were had troubles and problems and so forth. And I thought I'd never make it because I had such a f- normal life and my parents were together and they, they loved me. And yes, my mother did push me a little bit in, the, in, the, in a negative way, but... But I thought, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to have a success because, you know, all the people I looked up to really had screwed up lives. But I watched Paul Winchell, got a dummy from my parents, a ventriloquist figure. It didn't have moving eyes, which really pissed me off. I wanted the eyes to move like the one on TV. Um, And I did talent shows in school. And I was really bad. I really sucked, you know. <laughs> but the kids kind of liked me. They kind of gave me attention. It was bizarre. Uh, they kind of applauded me. I said, well, wait, really? You like that? That's, that's pretty interesting. Um, and I said, well, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. This is, this is kind of cool. Um, and I went looking for a better ventriloquist figure uh, than the one I had with the moving eyes. And I walked into Tannen's Magic Shop. And also Macy's had a magic counter on the fifth floor of Macy's. 
and I discovered magic that you could actually you know do this magic stuff man there was a guy named Danny doing this little board thing and uh, and I bought it I bought the board thing I went to Tannen's magic shop in New York and it was like being in heaven it was incredible I'm cre- recreating Tannen's uh, my own ver- my own old version of it in my museum to relive that kind of thing but it's the place that J.J. Abrams started you know he, he got the mystery box that he talks about in his TED Talks a wonderful TED Talk about the importance of keeping the ma- magic alive keeping the mystery not knowing what's in something and he opened this, he'd never opened this box that he got at 10. And so uh, we have a shared experience of that, that same kind of inspiration. But I loved magic. You know, I discovered this place that I could be really good at. And uh, uh, I would l- get the catalog and I'd read the description of the effect in the catalog. Uh, this beautiful, thick catalog that you'd, you know, immerse yourself in. Uh or the books in the library. And I refused to look at the method of how I, how the thing worked. I would just read this catalog description or the, 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 the description of the effect in the magic book, but wouldn't read the secret. And I would see if I could create how I would do it. <laughs> and I'm a 10 year old kid at the time. And I would create pretty good methods of things and, um, uh, challenging myself to, to find my own way of, 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 of these these things, and I, I invented some things which are eventually at twelve years old was published in the Tarbell Course in Magic. Some of my inventions when I was twelve. Um, so it really kind of came very easy for me. This magic stuff, you know. So ventriloquism became the magic, and the magic was kind of the thing that I was meant to do. Not good at anything else, you know. Just kind of, but magic was my way of of, of expressing myself, inventing new things, and uh, uh, was kind of. Uh, little prodigy in my own way when was the first moment where you said to yourself i am never doing anything else again and i will make it at this well um i knew that i had to do this but i think to this day i'm not sure if i'm going to make it or not (laughs) it's still you know i'm not kidding i'm just you know still fighting the fight to this day um and it's probably fear-based. It's probably looking at artists who were very confident, who after one season, one album, one show, have disappeared into the ether of things. Um, watching that happen over and over again and saying that I'm not gonna let that happen. You know, When I was you know, jumping ahead when I did my first uh, special, I went to uh, there were CBS specials, but I shot it at NBC Studios. I had the better studio, taller and bigger. I wanted a lot of depth and scale to my shows, and so we sh- we'd shoot at NBC. And I walked into the studio, and the Carson show would be shooting over here and all things, and all the dressing rooms had these little signs that you could just take out, these little placards you can take out in the parking spaces. You could just take out the names. And it was chilling <laughs> to watch the realization, how quick it was to be forgotten and how quick it was to to have everything you work hard for being taken away just by making the mistake of being lazy or ineffectual or or uh or or not uh you know they, they use the word relevant today i, I think it's a stupid word but i think it's a matter of just moving forward you know which goes back to the whole Walt Disney thing you know keep moving forward it's one of his one of his uh, quotes what happened to me was that, you know, I was, magic was very easy for me. But the things that I love to watch or do, 
were everything else. <laughs> I loved musicals. Um, I loved theater. Uh, I loved movie musicals and theater. I loved plays. Uh, I used to second act Broadway shows as a kid. For those of you who don't know what second acting is, they let you in for free after the break. They don't let you in. You sneak in for free. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You know, and people would go outside the theater during intermission, and the second act, you'd kind of mingle with a crowd, and you find an empty seat. You know, It wouldn't work in Hamilton, because there's no empty seats. <laughs> but but uh, you know, in most shows, you could find a place, and I'd see shows. I would see Grease, the original Grease. I'd see it. 200 times literally or I'd see Pippin you could uh, have standing room seats for three bucks back then three dollars you could see I have a standing room seat in the back saw it 200 times you know with Ben Vereen and and John Rubenstein and you know, I used to hang out with Bob Fosse just to get my way in the back door I loved theater and I, I loved Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire but I was a magician guy how am I gonna how do I do what I'm doing and have that kind of emotion that kind of feeling what can I do to combine those two and I did. I worked very hard, and it's a you know to to try to get the emotions I would feel when I'd see a singing in the rain, which I just saw again yesterday and wept in the audience. Is literally weeping, you know, watching singing, watching the level of excellence. Just watching that, you realize I'm crying because I realize I'm I'm built from that. I'm made from that. It informed everything I did, and Bob Fosse informed everything I did, and uh, you know just amazing work that influenced you know uh, who we are and combining magic with those emotions was something that was very very important to me it provided the 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 the, the unique identifying factor of what the, my brand was tell our audience what your first big break in show business was there was a show on Broadway called the magic show the Doug Henning had a huge success with and I used to um, hang out with him backstage and he said you know uh, he, I'm gonna make you my understudy this is like my dream you know and um, you know I found out later that he was making sure that he was telling Edgar Lansbury don't hire this guy <laughs> you know so to my face he was saying uh, oh you're my buddy we talk about girls we do that but behind my back, you know, he's a, he's not going to fit through the trap doors of the thing. Now, this is a guy that I really respected and still respect him. You know, we lost him. He's, he really changed magic in many ways. So I really admire what he did. But you made him nervous because he saw your talent. He saw something, I think. I'm not sure what he saw. But, um, you know, whoever understudied him was not another magician. It was more of an actor kind of person. Um, but he saw that I had a point of view that, you know, may not have been good for, for, for kind of... Uh, for, for him um, but it really empowered me it really strengthened me you know to see that was my first in quotes Hollywood experience where somebody says something to your face and you know is operating to your disadvantage behind your back but we, we became friends afterwards and you know I really and he's represented my museum you know to honor what he did but it was a great thing uh, another one of those negatives that ended up empowering me that uh, really helped me at the end of the day but uh, that was a show in New York that I went to see uh, and hung out with. But at the same time, Pippin was around, Grease was around, light music, Sondheim musicals, um, amazing work that uh, I said, I need to make magic like that, you know. And um, a year after that, I auditioned. I actually put an ad in Variety. I used to 
have ads in the front of where you could buy. Um, and uh, a magician actor, David Copperfield. <laughs> First time I changed my name to David Copperfield. Your real name was? David Kotkin, K-O-T-K-I-N is my real name. And why did you come up with Copperfield? It wasn't my idea. It was a, um, a reporter in New York I used to hang out with uh, named Barry Cunningham and his wife, Laura Cunningham, who was a screenwriter. Um, I was hanging out with them and they would, they would take me to these parties and I was just like 14 year old kid walking to these parties with Andy Warhol. He had all this access because he was a New York Post reporter at the time. And, uh, you know, there would be Stevie Wonder singing on a piano and I was, I couldn't believe it. Um, and, um, and they suggested uh, yeah, this David Copperfield name. And in retrospect, I think it was a mistake. <laughs> you know, I have to share my, 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 my name with that. Uh, wonderful Dickens book um, but uh, I, I don't think I can get rid of it now but uh, they suggested that I took it and I put an ad in uh, Variety and the producers of Greece saw the ad and um, and I auditioned at the Schubert Theater in New York for the show they did called The Magic Man I just want to take a minute to share another groundbreaking, environmentally sound product with you. It's an unbelievable, revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates and it will make your life so much better. It's like no other product you'll ever find in the world. And I'm talking about the Air Doctor. As you know, air inside our homes can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. And until now, the only thing that could get rid of all these things in your house that were damaging to you and your family were systems that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. That's why I wanted to talk to you about the Air Doctor and share it with you. It removes everything, dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and so many other contaminants that circulate through your home that cover your walls, floors, and furniture. You can get the Air Doctor right now. It's normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for you guys, for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300 off the Amazon price. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry. I have one of these. I'm telling you, it works. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. It's truly incredible. It works for me and it'll work for you. Had you ever done an audition like that in your life before? Never. What happened was I was... Uh, very friendly with Ben Vereen, who was a star of Pippin at the time. He gave me his singing teacher, a guy named J. Albert Fracht. And uh, at the Ansonia Hotel, I would go take singing lessons. And I can't sing at all. But, but uh, you know, I tried. Uh, I made my effort. I was studying dancing with Peter, Peter Gennaro uh, and, um, and music and all this to try to round out my magic stuff. And the ad ran, and I got this call. 
And I said, I got to practice. I got to practice before this audition. So I went to Juilliard and I started knocking on doors. And there was a girl playing piano, practicing her piano. I said, please help me. In two hours, I've got an audition for this Broadway show. It's, off Broadway. it's a Chicago show, uh, actually, but it's going to be on Broadway. Uh, I'm going to, my audition's on Broadway. Would you help me? And she said, okay. And I rehearsed for two hours with this girl out of the blue. <laughs> I wish I could find her today to see who, to thank her. So, so then uh, I went to this theater in New York, uh, the Schubert Theater, and it was a stage where Over Here was playing. It was an Andrew Sisters musical with the Andrew Sisters in it, uh, written by uh, the Sherman Brothers, who wrote It's a Small World, all ties together. Um, and uh, on that stage, I sang and danced and did the dancing cane, which was this classic thing I, uh, I did, and sang the Jack Jones song, Hey Little Girl, <laughs> Uh, fix your hair, uh, put on your makeup, this pretty sexist song <laughs> about how women should be, you know, uh, lovers for their husbands, you know, you know, horrible message, but a kind of a, uh, a, a very, very buoyant song. And I'm sure I sang it badly. And these two guys are in the audience and they go, you're hired in the audience, like the classic thing. You're the guy. And, um, and I, I stopped my term at Fordham University. I went to Fordham for my mom uh, for, four, for four weeks or three weeks in Fordham. I dropped out of Fordham and I flew to Chicago and was there for a year doing this, uh, this musical. I got to sing and dance and act. Kind of a copy of the magic show that Doug Henney was doing. I think they're six, they want to have that same success. But it was the producers of Greece who had this, this uh, property already done prior to the magic show. So Imagine that one of the most successful person in your profession is a college dropout. Yeah, yeah. And years later, 20 years later, Fordham gave me a doctorate. <laughs> we gave me, a, I'm a doctorate of arts and letters, you know, and uh, uh, yeah, pretty pretty crazy. Yeah. But um, I'm in a line of lots of dropouts, you know. I was teaching magic at NYU, you know, prior to that at 16, but I, as far as academia, I kind of learned from life. And your first television break was what? The Magic Man sh closed after they took away all my songs, you know. One month by month, my songs were given to all the different other actors because of my crappy singing. And, um, uh, but the magic was good, and I, I guess I was decent enough in the show. Um, the reviews were okay. They loved my magic and liked me, but, you know. But the show ran a long time, you know. Ran, it was a very long-running original musical. Um, I went to New York after that. Uh, with my girlfriend at the time, and we got an apartment in New York, and um, and I starved. I you know couldn't get could get a job. I think oh my god, I had this huge success in Chicago, was really you know uh, kind of in the parades and all that stuff. And then I went to New York, and I realized oh my god, this is not going to be so easy. And I spent uh, months in New York, knocking on doors and developing a show of my own. And I rented this. Uh, apartment of uh, two actresses who had this amazing amazing music collection of Gershwin and Broadway shows and and uh, that's entertainment had come out recently the the, the Jack Haley um, uh, musical the compilation so influenced by that and at, while I was starving I kind of came up with these routines that um, doing a levitation to American in Paris and uh, doing a date with a magician. It's a most unusual day. The Jane Powell song. I would dance with the 
pieces after cutting her the girl in half, a date with a magician. I do a Keystone Cop number. Um, so it was really all these, I do an Alfred Hitchcock psycho number. But it cost money to create these things and to build them and you're broke in New York City probably living in a studio apartment how do you finance these first tricks well it was kind of clever first was not part wasn't clever my father would give me money for the heating bill you know I kind of compute if I go to three movies this month and pay the heat and the water bill and the rent I'll have this many months to live I kind of calculated <laughs> what a year how much money I have to have in the bank for a year for that and there were these industrial shows that were happening where you could uh, do these shows for corporations IBM and, and uh, Pitney Bowes and I would get hired to do these shows to produce the executives magically. And they heavily theme these shows about the, uh, the people who've sold 100% of, of a product. Um, and it would be me and it'd be Henry Kissinger speaking. And it would be uh, Bruce Jenner would be speaking because he was a superstar at the time. He was the perfect human being, you know, on the, on the cover of the Wheaties box. Uh, and he'd be speaking. He says he remembers me at these things. I'm sure he does not. But, but uh, um, I was the lowly magician who would be hired to kind of weave the story of why all these executives were magicians in their own way. Um, and um, it, it was an amazing time, but it also paid for all the stuff. It paid for all the hardware. I, you know, all of those, uh, I got the companies who would put on these... Um, these productions to buy my illusions for me, for me. But I, I bought them, you know, it's very Disney inspired. You know, the New York City World's Fair, the brilliant thing of Walt Disney did, he, he had corporations pay for It's a Small World. And the deal was they do It's a Small World and Pepsi would pay for all the stuff and he get to take all the, the animatronics home and put it in Disneyland. Uh, they would build, he'd have the Illinois state build miss, the animatronic Mr. Lincoln, he'd get to use it in the President's Hall of Fame back in Disneyland. Uh, at, at the car companies, Ford, whoever would build the, the, the big ride show equipment, and he'd get to take it. Well, I was really inspired by that, so I did the exact same thing. I would do industrial shows in a much smaller way. Uh, the industrial shows would pay for this illusions, but the illusions I picked to tell the, the corporation's stories were illusions that I could use in my own show telling my personal stories of things. So uh, that's where the money came from. But still had to count every single $10 thing for the heating bill or the, the electric bill, yeah. Unlike a stand-up comedian or a singer, there's thousands of outlets all over the world. There's no place for a magician to practice their craft in front of an audience over and over again. A comedian can work for 10 years. How does a magician hone his craft when there's no place to perform it to? Well, it's, you're right. It's really, it's really hard. And the opportunities were far less back when I was starting. You know, uh, It was finding you know, really believing in it. Um, and I would have tapes of me doing in the magic man. I have 10 demo tapes out. Uh, I got picked to do this show called magic of the Roxy, which was a compilation of me and Carl Ballantyne and, and, uh, Richard Ross, uh, amazing Randy. Uh, and we were flown to, um, to Pittsburgh, I think it was, and in this Roxy theater and they shot the show. And I'd worked on all this material in the industrial shows. 
uh, American and Paris levitation and uh, backstage of the magician. You'd see what magic happened behind the scenes. And uh, I did a thing, a horrible dance routine to ease on down the road because The Wiz was the big show, uh, musical with a great, uh, great score. And they, the audience kind of liked me. They kind of liked it. And the show ended and uh, the magic was different. And I was a, you know, 18 year old, 19 year old teenager at the time. And I kind of liked what I was doing. And uh, when the show wrapped, there was a rap party that night and they showed kind of rough cut of the show. And I watched, <laughs> I watched the video of me doing this stuff, which got great reaction. And I started to, to cry. I was like emotionally wrecked from it. And what I saw on screen wasn't what my mind was doing. You know, as I was dancing around on stage, I saw myself as Gene Kelly and I saw the moves were going to look that good and the lighting and the, you know, just the shots. And it wasn't. I was like, oh my God. And I was ready to give up. It was that bad. I said, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe I'm just in taking the exact wrong path. You know, maybe the correct way is to do it a more standard way. Maybe combining magic with dancing or, or that level of storytelling or w was the wrong direction. Maybe it was a huge mistake. And I really felt it and really believed it. But the audience kind of liked it. I didn't know why. And then time passed and I realized that it was the right way to go. You know, even though it wasn't meeting my level of ex expectations, it wasn't as good as what I thought it should look like. But it was, it was a horrible and wonderful moment, you know. Um, I took that tape, that umatic three-quarter inch tape, a big brick of a tape, and knocked on doors. And I went to see Jack Rollins, Rollins and Jaffe. Who managed Woody Allen at the time. Right. And Billy Crystal and, you know, just, and also produced Woody Allen movies. Still does. Um, and they said, this is pretty good. You go across the street to see this guy named Joe Cates. Joe Cates is, you know, we do mostly comedy. You see this Joe Cates is a producer. And Joe Cates, uh, with his brother Gil, who produced the Oscars for many years. And Gil Cates Jr.'s son is producing as well. Which is in a really wonderful family. Joe Cates had a cigar, like the classic Broadway, you know, producer, you know. Uh, and he watched this tape I put into the thing, and he, his eyes lit up. And he was producing specials, Steve Martin specials and circus specials and so forth. And he said, you know, this is, you have a point of view here. This is not just magic. This is magic with kind of a, a point of view. It's different, you know. And he took that tape to uh, Fred Silverman. Fred Silverman, legendary television producer, also network president of NBC at one time. Mm -hmm. And they put me on ABC on a, a show to introduce the ABC season. <laughs> and it was me and Penny Marshall and Cindy Williams and, and Howard Cosell and uh, uh, Hal Linden and uh, Charlie's Angels and me, you know, it's like the, uh, the guy on the, uh, in Talladega Nights, you know, <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands. What am I going to do with my hands? You know, <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And Donnie Marie walk in the room and they put me on and they're like, 
since birth, they're taught how to work the camera and what to do and memorize. And Donny Osmond learns this routine that Jaime Rogers, this uh, wonderful uh, choreographer, spent months with me to learn. You know, he, he learns it in, in 10 minutes. It's amazing. And they knew every detail of how to handle where the cameras were and what to do and where to look and where the lights were. And I sat there like, what's going on here? And um, that's my first TV special. It was a, a, a big commercial for ABC where all of the people that worked on the show had no idea how to shoot magic or do magic, nor did I. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just want to thank my incredible partners, starting with Wondery. Check out their lineup of some of the greatest podcasts in the world at Wondery.com. And AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniaturized countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately it'll turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. Get $100 off when you go to industrystandard.com and type in the promo code Barry. Start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. And you'll save tons of money a year like I have and never buy another bottle of water again. Also, amazing documentary called I Killed JFK centering on the only living person in history who ever admitted to killing John F. Kennedy. Go to ikilledjfk.com, buy the film, and you also get the rare interviews with five of the last living JFK assassination experts, and I guarantee you it'll change the way you think of the world. The Air Doctor, the groundbreaking portable air purification system which will change your home environment and overall life for the better. The Air Doctor instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating through your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for you guys, for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. I got one of these systems, and I'm telling you, it's truly incredible. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And finally, Boku Superfood, the purest, most potent, and delicious superfood blends on the planet. Certified organic, kosher, and vegan, Boku Superfood is changing the game for thousands of people in 65 countries. And I'm so confident it'll change your life that I worked out an incredible deal with the company. Get a full week's worth of Boku Superfood for free. Just pay the minimal shipping. Go to tryboku.com and experience the difference of how it makes you look and feel. And you will understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going for. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain There's 
never quite over till it all feels the same. You pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.